Jesus says, if you want to be healed, take up your mat and walk. Now, that's very interesting that Jesus doesn't just say, get up and walk. He says, take up your mat and walk. <laughs> and Jesus is doing that on purpose. Because the rules of that territory, the rules of that culture said you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. None at all. And we have rules in our society like that. They're the unwritten rules. And there's a power structure behind those rules. And you know if you break them, they're going to come after you. Right? These are the Jim Crow laws uh, in the South where uh, black folk were not allowed to be in certain places. Sometimes they were written and sometimes they were unwritten. And we have similar laws in our police force. The code of silence. If you see a police officer doing something, you can't call them out because if you call them out, this whole culture won't defend you. We have the same thing in our streets. Murder after murder after murder. 80% of our murders are not solved because nobody will say who they know it was that Facebooked them yesterday and said, we shot your guy. We have unwritten rules in our culture too. And Jesus is about to pick a fight with those rules. He's about to get in a power struggle with the Pharisees and saying, I don't, I don't obey your rules. I remember when my little sister, she was a little bit stubborn when she was little, four years old. My dad was watching her and she would never eat. She would never eat. And one day my dad said to her, Maria, you have not touched your food. I need you to eat. And she just looked at him, took her finger and touched her piece of broccoli. That's a power struggle, right? And that's what Jesus is doing. And so he gets into this fight with the Pharisees and they're basically, they come to him and they're like, why, what makes you think you have the right to do this? What makes you think you have the right to do this? And so Jesus in this power struggle does what you really have to do in any power struggle, right? When you were little and you got in a fight with your brother or sister, right, about who gets to watch the television or who gets to do what? Um, you would go to your mom and dad and say, tell, tell so-and-so to do it this way, right? And so what Jesus does in, in the book of John is he, he kicks things up to a higher level. He kicks them up and he says, my authority comes from God. And so what happens in that place is, is Jesus appeals to a higher, higher authority. And he says that he and the Father are one. He appeals to the higher authority of the Father. So guys, what, what I want you to see in this is that Jesus is confronting the Pharisees where their God is. Let me read it here. We got a few technical things going on all around me. So this is what Jesus said. He gets in this power struggle with the Pharisees. And he says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. 
Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hope is set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? And so you see Jesus is going to a higher authority. And this is crazy. This is actually the living God. This is the person that wrote the very scriptures the Pharisees were studying. He was right there in front of him. How many of you have ever said, man, I wish I could have been there when Jesus was walking the earth. I wish I could have looked him right in the eye and asked him any question that I had. I wish I could have followed him and seen uh, the, the miracles that he did, the healings that he did, the, the demons cast out. I wish I could have been taught uh, right at the feet of Jesus. Well, the Pharisees had that real person right in front of him, them. And yet, because they clung to their power, they couldn't see it. And so Jesus was confronting them at their place of idolatry. Hold on to that, because that's going to be an issue later on. How are we doing here? <laughs> All right. So that's what we studied last week. All right. And part of what Jesus is uh, referring to when he comes here is is when he says, Moses wrote about me, he is taking them back to uh, a, a scripture in Deuteronomy 19. And in Deuteronomy 19, uh, Moses says that one day a prophet will come who is sent by God. And Jesus is basically saying, I am that prophet. And what Jesus is making the case for is, you desire to have Moses, but I am greater than Moses. And John in his gospel is about to tell a story, show us just how much greater Jesus is than Moses himself. In one way, he's saying he's greater than Moses because he's saying he's actually begotten of God. He is the son of God. But then he is going to demonstrate this too because in, in John 6, what we see happen is, is Jesus uh, goes across the water when he gets across the water, the crowds follow him because he's healing people and he's casting out demons, all right? If I started healing people right here, if, I, if there was a guy right here with a wheelchair and I put my hand on him and he was healed and he ran home and told everybody, uh, I just went to their church and they're healing people over there. And they saw somebody that had been in a wheelchair their whole life. They would come, the crowds would come to check it out. And Jesus was healing person after person after person. And all over the world, this is how the gospel has always gone out. And so the crowds are coming to him. And they're out in a place far away from, uh, they, they went late. The sermon went long. The teaching went long. And the people were there. And Jesus looked out at the crowd and it says that he had compassion on them because they hadn't eaten. And so he asked his disciple, Philip. He sets Philip up. He says, hey, Philip. Where can we buy food for all these people? Philip says, we don't have enough money to buy food for this people. But the Bible says that Jesus told him that so he could set him up. And so what, what Jesus then does is, it, is he kind of looks at his disciples and, and he, he kind of, I think, sends them out into the crowd. The reason I think that is because somebody comes to Jesus and says, hey, man, here's it. Here's some loaves and some fish that this boy brought for lunch. And Jesus says, that's good enough. And he takes it and he breaks the bread and he gives thanks to God. And he puts the bread and the fish in, in some baskets and they start passing it out. And as they reach in, there's always enough. 
every time they reach in, there's enough. And everybody gets fed. And just imagine the disciples. They're the ones that know we don't have enough food. But every time they reach in, there's food again. And they're handing it to the people. And Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now keep in mind that they follow Jesus because of his teaching and because of his preaching and because he was healing and casting out demons. That's what drew the crowd. They didn't know they were going to get fed that day. But then what the Bible says is that, that the next morning, Jesus' Jesus' disciples went across the lake. But Jesus didn't go with them. And the people knew that Jesus didn't go with them. I don't know how they knew it. Maybe they knew where he was sleeping. Maybe they saw the disciples leave and Jesus didn't leave with them. But it says in the middle of the night, while the disciples, while the disciples were going across the Sea of Galilee, they looked up and Jesus was walking towards them. Jesus was walking on water. Now let's think back about Moses. Moses did a, did a little trick with water once back in the day. Remember? He came to the Red Sea and he had an army behind him and a Red Sea in front of him. And the army was going to overtake them and kill them. And God said, look what's in your hand. He said, raise that staff I gave you. Moses raised the staff and the water parted. And Moses and, and the Israelites went across the went went through the Red Sea. They went right through it. Probably the water was piled up on each side. And they walked on dry ground. And as soon as they got across, the last person got across, that the Pharaoh's army started rushing out. And God just let the water fall and drowned their enemies just like that. Moses had a trick with water. And then when Joshua came back, when Joshua came to the Jordan River, the that came into the promised land, he encountered some water too. And Moses had just left and everybody was wondering, can Joshua do it like Moses did it? <laughs> and Joshua walks up to that water and he sends the ark in front of him. And as the, the, the priests carrying the presence of God, uh, the throne of God, walk out into that water, that water parts. And they walk through it. And so water matters. Water matters to uh, the Jewish listener. But this is how much greater Jesus is. Jesus doesn't split the water and walk out to his disciples. He walks right on top of it. John is saying, do you see just how much greater, just how much greater Jesus is than Moses? Jesus doesn't even need to walk on the dry ground. He's at a whole nother level. He's at a whole nother level. And so John is demonstrating to the Pharisees and give up your power. You see, the problem with the Pharisees, they had a false plan of salvation. And don't hate on them. We do the same thing, guys. We do the same thing. See, their, their plan of salvation was about creating a target. And that target was uh, obeying every word of the law. And they did it better than anybody else. And in fact, they made so many crazy, strict laws that, that it was almost impossible for anybody to obey them. You had to make great sacrifices in your life to obey these laws. You had to be very inconvenient to obey these laws. And they had created this target. And by, by hitting that target again and again and again, that's what gave them power. 
And we have similar targets in our culture, don't we? Right? A six pack is a target, right? Right? A six pack is a target. Everywhere I go, every magazine cover I see, there are men with six packs. Now I know they're all Photoshop or they starve themselves for a week and that's how they got it most of the time, right? But we, we imbue a person with that look with power. And we imbue women with that kind of look, power, right? It's a target that we go after. We also go after six-figure incomes. We, we consider that a target. And if someone reaches that target, they have more power in our culture. They have more respect. They have more prestige. So we do the same thing. Don't hate on the Pharisees. We do the same thing. And Jesus comes to them and he confronts their power and says, there's something more powerful than you. Have it. Receive it. Because God is always going to do that. God is a jealous God. He knows that he is what is best for you. It's arrogant what Jesus says. If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him for living water. Jesus is always saying, if you knew who you were talking to. All right? He is either crazy, delusional, uh, an egomaniac, or he was God himself. Man. And if he's God, of course, God is the best thing for you. So that's with the Pharisees. So with the powerful and with those who have power, God has to confront their power. But now in the story, we're going to see something different happen. Because what the Bible says is the people came to Jesus and, and he ran away from them. The reason he, he went walking on that water was to get away from the people because he knew they were about to make him king. And it's interesting why they wanted to make him king. They said to themselves, hey, you know what? I think he just didn't he just tell the Pharisees, he just told the Pharisees that, that he was the one Moses talked about. And so they came looking for him. But when they get to Jesus, it's very interesting what Jesus says. What Jesus says to them is, you didn't come to me because of the signs and wonders I did. You didn't come to me because of the teaching about the kingdom. You came to me because the other day I gave you bread. Think about what that says to us. If I go right now, if I go up into the suburbs right now, I go to, up to, to uh, uh, Lake Forest. And uh, I go out on the sidewalk and I start giving out hot dogs. Maybe some people will eat the hot dogs. Maybe they'll enjoy it. But they're not going to make me king because I fed them some hot dogs. They're not going to be, oh, my gosh, we, we need to have you be president. You, you were feeding us. All right? These people come to Jesus because he gave them bread. That's hungry people. That's hungry people. That's people who are at such subsistence that they don't have enough bread to eat on a regular basis. And when you are in that place, when you're in that kind of poverty, you get what we would call a survival instinct. You know, I, I worked for a while with, with, uh, with homeless people. And those guys live at about two hours at a time. What is the next two hours? What is the next four hours, right? There's a whole mentality about it. 
And Jesus comes to them and he says, and John, and I'm going to paraphrase and then I'll get it to get to it in a minute. But he says, you, you came to me because I gave you bread. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get there? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? What, what do we got to do to get that food? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So guys, what is wrong with Jesus here? If you've got hungry people in front of you, shouldn't you feed them? I mean, doesn't it, isn't that what it says in Isaiah 58? It says that you are supposed to feed the hungry. So why is Jesus giving these people such a hard time? Because they're coming to him. Hungry people are coming to him looking for food. This issue is interesting. It's a, it's, a, it's a pattern in the scriptures. Do you remember when Jesus went into the wilderness? Do you remember after he fasted for 40 days? The Bible says he was hungry. And the devil came to him to test him and said, if you are the son of God, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? A lot of commentators have said that's not just about Jesus' personal hunger. That is the devil saying, hey, if you care about people, why don't you use your supernatural ability to just feed them? Because there's so many hungry people in the world. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, man shall not live by bread alone. The idol of the Pharisees is power. The idol of the masses is bread. The competition with God, with, a, with those that are elite and are in charge, is power. The competition with those that are hungry is bread. And it takes faith to get past both of those. It takes faith to exchange either one of those for God. If I was famous, if I had money, if the president had me on speed dial and the mayor and Oprah Winfrey and Bono, and Jesus came to me and said, give up that place, give up that chair, say what I want you to say, and those people will never call you back. That's a hard ask. If you're hungry, you haven't eaten for two days, you work 10, 15 hours a day, and all you get is a bowl of rice at the end of it, what's on your mind all the time? Food, food, food. That's what I want, food. Jesus coming to you and saying, have me, have me instead of food. That's a hard ask. That's a hard ask. 
So I said, we we're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. I said, we we're going to talk about manna. And I said, we we're going to talk about Jubilee. The manna story is this. The people of God come out of Egypt. When they come out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness with no food. We left Chicago. We're out in the middle of the country. There's no McDonald's. There's no Wendy's. There's no place for us to eat. What are we supposed to do? You brought a million people out here. What kind of planning was this? How are we going to eat? And God says, tell the people this. In the morning, I'm going to bring manna. It's going to fall from heaven. And here's the rules about the manna. Here's the instructions about the manna. I want you to gather manna every day in the morning. And he says, whatever you gather, it'll be enough. And then he says, you can't store it overnight. And then he says, on the sixth day, on the sixth day, I'm going to give you twice as much manna because I don't want you working on the seventh day. Now, this is trauma therapy for slave people who have been under empire rule. Let me break that down for you. This is trauma therapy for slave people living under empire rule. All right? So check it out. The Bible says that people went out, and no matter how much people gathered, they had enough. All right? Now, under empire rule, if you're a slave, what is your worth to the empire? Making bricks. That's all that you're worth. You're just a tool in the empire. People are not people to the empire. People are tools to the empire. And so what, 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 what these guys were treated like for generation after generation, they were rewarded or punished based on what they produced. How many can say amen? That's how my company treats me. Amen. All right? Right? That's empire. Empire is just like, what have you done for us lately? And if you've done more, then we expect more, especially if you're my slave. If you don't do enough, we're going to beat the mess out of you until you get it there. And in fact, when Moses first came to Egypt and said, set my people free, Pharaoh said, what? Twice as many bricks from now on. And you know some of these folks that out in that wilderness got beat down because they weren't creating twice enough bricks. They had lived under a system that said you will be rewarded or punished based on what you produce, based on how hard you work. And so I bet that first day some of them went out there just like, just like they always had said, who can gather the most straw? Who can grab the most straw? Who can make the most bricks? They're probably, there's probably those, those tough guys that were just, they're piles of manna. They were just packing in piles of manna. And there was probably like some guy who was crippled and hurting and he's doing the best he can. Uh, and he, he's, he's probably looking at, at his friend's bucket. His friend's bucket is full and his bucket is this small, you know, my wife, when we pick blueberries, I'll, I'll bring my bucket and hers is like to the top and mine is here. I'm like, how do you, 
pick blueberries so fast, right? There were people who were doing it differently. But when they got home and they reached in and they started handing out the manna to the family, the crippled person found out they had just enough. And the person who had too much, he reached in and he handed out. And once everybody had everything they needed, whatever was left over would spoil the next day. And he couldn't keep it. And so quickly they learned this is not about how hard I work. This is just given to me because God loves me. It's just given to me because God loves me. And then God did one even better. Do you remember you had to make twice as much bricks? Well, on the sixth day, I'm going to give you twice as much manna. Take that, Pharaoh. This is what God's grace economy looks like. It's not about whether or not you can produce. It's about me pouring it out on you. And so God is establishing in his people this idea of grace. This idea of grace. You don't deserve this. You didn't work for this. You didn't have to produce this. I'm just giving it to you because I love you. And so you can take a break. You don't have to produce because your power does not come from your might. Your power does not come from your economy. Your power does not come from your army. Your power comes from your relationship with me. So one day a week, you and me are going to just sit down and hang out and be at rest with one another. The power is in the intimacy with God. That's why when Jesus was confronting the Pharisees, he said, me and my father. He went to the most intimate relationship, a man, a child and his father. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. And that was the relationship God wanted to have with his people. I am not Pharaoh. You do not have to produce for me. This is not about whether you can uh, do for God. It's about whether or not you can trust and believe in a God that will do for you. Whether you can trust and believe in a God that will do for you. Do you trust? Do you believe in a God that can do for you? This is important in this moment in our city. When our children are killing each other, when our, instant, our police institution is, is falling apart because they, the, the trust between the police and the community is, is so far gone. When our institutions, even our communities, are dangerous and, and, and not there for us. Will you believe that God can do for you? Will you believe that God can provide for you? Will you believe that God can protect you? Jesus said, Moses did not give you the manna. God gave you the manna. But I'm going to take it one step further. I am the manna. That's intimacy. When God says, eat me, that is intimacy. He's saying, take me into you. Fill your life up with me. And you will have more than enough. You will have grace. That's what God wants for us. Well, that's easy in the wilderness. That's easy when you don't got anything. Because what else are you going to do? 
I can't plant anything in this wilderness. I can't reap anything in this wilderness. It's all completely out of my hands. And sometimes, sometimes Kevin and I, I know we've been there. James and I, I know we've been there where God cuts off the income, cuts off the control, cuts off any opportunity for you to take care of yourself and says, just trust me. And he takes care of you. And that's the training in the wilderness. And some of you are going to head into that place for a little while because you need to understand grace, not just uh, for your salvation when you die and you don't need to worry about it. You need to understand grace for your, for your protection. You need to understand grace for your provision. You need to understand grace for your mental health and your body. You need to understand grace. And sometimes the only way God can teach you about grace is to bring you into a place where you have no control, no say, no ability to help yourself and God does it for you. And that's what he did in the wilderness. But after you've been trained by that, here comes the second, the second trial. See, God knew he was taking them to a promised land. He was taking to them to a place where they were going to farm uh, and, and plant their own crops and reap their own grain and uh, begin to build wealth for themselves. And they were going to mostly be doing it with their own hands. And he knew the temptation when you finally get a little bit of control back into your hands when you get it back into your hands the temptation is to think that you're the one that's doing it and you can become your own pharaoh you can become your own pharaoh where you are pushing you to produce where you have no grace for yourself where you are always driving yourself to work harder and harder and harder because nobody else will do it for you and all of a sudden you find yourself working Sundays. All of a sudden you find you don't have time to pray. You don't have time to be in your Bible. The church, a prayer meeting at church is the smallest meeting. We don't have time to hang out with God. And we get driven. And empires are competitive. Empires compete with each other. Egypt can always say, man, if we, if, if we take a break, if we take a Sabbath, Assyria is going to become more powerful than us. If we don't work hard enough, America, Japan's going to work harder than us. Or Russia's going to work harder than us. And then they're going to be more powerful than us, and we won't be able to defend ourselves. It's a hard ask to trust God for your protection and for your provision. And God knows that. And that's why he created Jubilee. In Leviticus 25 God lays it out. When you get to the promised land, here's what's going to happen. I'm kicking out the old empire. I'm kicking out the old economy. And we are going to establish a new grace economy, a kingdom economy in this land. And that economy is going to look like this. You all get your fair share. You all get your 40 acres and a mule. But understand, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. You're just tenants in the land. But you, you are responsible for it. You are responsible for it. And so, and so God, God creates the year of Jubilee. Everybody gets their portion of land. Everybody has to take responsibility for planting and, and taking care of it. Right? But here's what can happen. Obviously, if I'm responsible for it, one day, Maybe something happens to me. Maybe I'm out in the field one day and I trip and I break my leg and I can't farm. 
that season. Me and my wife can't have kids, so I don't have 20 kids like the neighbor, neighbor does. I have two. We can't farm as much land, so we say, hey, man, you know, we're going to sell you a little bit of our land. We'll live off of this. You know, we need a little extra money uh, to do this one thing. Okay, that's cool, because back in the agrarian society, economy is completely based on land. You have to understand that's what's different than today. The opportunity to take care of yourself was completely dependent on land. And what God said was, this is what we're going to do. Everybody gets the land. Um, if you run out of money, you uh, can sell some of your land. If you don't have any land to sell, you can sell yourself for seven years. I'm going to work for you for seven years to, for, in order for you to take care of me. This was how things worked back then. But God said, this is what's going to happen. Every seven years, you don't work the land. Every seven years, you take a year off. Every seventh year, I want you to put the economy back in my hands. I want you to learn that this is about grace and not about you. I want you to learn this about my strength and not your strength. Every seventh year, you, you, you don't do anything with the land. If the, if, the, if the crops come back up, you can eat it, but it doesn't just belong to you anymore. It belongs to everybody. The alien and the stranger among you, those that don't have land, they get to eat off of it too. You have to put it back in God's hands. And then he says, once we've done that seven times, so seven years, and every seventh year you rest, but on the 49th year, as you're coming into that 50th year, I want you to declare liberty. We just celebrated our independence day. This was their independence day. Every 50 years, declare liberty. Anybody that sold themselves because they didn't have any money, that debt is canceled. Your neighbor owed you money, that debt is canceled. And all the extra land your family with 20 people had because you bought up everybody else's property, God bless you, well done. You got to give it back. We go back to the old boundary line. We're going to hit reset. Because I don't want empire growing up in your heart. No good. I don't want empire growing up in your heart. I don't want one of you to become so powerful that the rest of you are all dependent on them. Because I know what happens. You will end up with Egypt in the promised land if you don't do this. No but trust me with it. Trust me with it. Trust me with it. And so Jesus, when he started his ministry, when he came out of that wilderness and he walked into the synagogue, he opened up the book of Isaiah and he said, the spirit of the living God is upon me for he's anointed me to preach good news to those that have been oppressed by the empire, who have been uh, used and enslaved by the empire. He's, he's brought me to preach good news to them. He's brought me to release those who are prisoners, probably because of their debts, because it wasn't fair. And so you got thrown in. Came to set the oppressed free and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is Jubilee. And Jesus' shortest sermon, much shorter than this one today, buddy, and says, This is fulfilled right now. Right in me. 
And so this morning when we started service, we prayed on the name of Jesus. Jesus was saying in that moment, I am your jubilee. I am the one who will set you free from your debts. I am the one who will provide for you and take care of you. And so here's my push to you guys today. Where is it? Where is it that you are in empire economy? Where is it where it's your strength that has to take care of you? Where is it that, that you have power and God is saying, give it up? Where is it you have need? You have need, real need, whether it's your health or your food or your hunger. Where is it you have real need? And that's all you're focused on. It could be, I can't have children. It could be, I'm always in pain. It could be, whatever is the, what is the thing? The real need, the, the hunger was a real need. God sees the real need. But the real need can become an idol if you're not careful. What is it? Because Jesus comes and says, this is the work. In the empire, the work is to produce bricks. In the kingdom, the work is to believe in the one who sent me. To believe in the one who sent me. And how do I show my belief? All right, I don't believe in that. All right, I believe a lot more in this. All right, this is how I show my belief. I believe that this is going to support me. Why do I believe that? Because I stood on a chair before. I never stood on that before. That's why I didn't use that. I might have broke that. But I'm standing on this chair. Why am I standing on this chair? I'm standing on this chair because I stood on a chair before and it supported me. Now, maybe the first time I stood on a chair, I wasn't sure. Stand on Jesus. You're going to have to take a risk. Faith is not going to happen without risk. It is a risk to give up your place at the table. It is a risk to give up the bread that you could have right in front of you right now that some other king promised you. We got a problem with a drug trade in this neighborhood. It takes care of us. But it's a pharaoh. And it's enslaved us and it's killing us. We need a new master and God can take care of us. Jesus can take care of us. But you have to take the steps. And so that's my question to you right now. Where is it that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger in your life and saying, in this area, this one area here, you are not trusting me. Give it to me. Put it in my hands and learn that I can protect you and take care of you. Not because of what you can do for me but because I love you and I have grace.